Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and apparently controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And that was much more uplifting. Well, I've been coached. <laughs> That's okay, yeah. <laughs> coached, reviled. Yeah. Henpecked, except that I'm not your wife, so I can't really henpeck you. Don't send us emails. <laughs> I was going to say, like, <laughs> That's sexist. X A G E T. Unless you want a game with me, then <laughs> send me an invite. Anyhow, so what do we? What do we? Uh... We are talking about apostasy. In fact, you made the c- comment that we did our hundredth. What is that? It's a dog barking. Have it go away. Anyhow, um, so our hundredth episode was apparently something that most people celebrate and we did well, ours people do, on- yeah they do like special episodes or you know q a's or mailbags or go live or something not us apostasy <laughs> part one <laughs> <laughs> that's why they tune in yeah all seven we're, we're heard all around kenosha <laughs> <laughs> anyhow we're gonna finish on the scary passages. Actually, um, we got a nice note from one listener about how it's been helpful, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, last episode, we talked about the first part of the book of Hebrews where some of those warning passages are found, and they are frankly scary. And anytime you have any kind of a conversation about salvation, whether you're eternally saved, uh, or not, the book of Hebrews will always come up. And if you do any Bible teaching or you serve in any kind of a capacity as a pastor, you will have people who will ask you about certain verses in Hebrews, uh, definitely the ones that we're going to look at tonight, uh, and they will have a very nervous or scared look on their face. And, and so you need to deal with that. And so often when you hear a person explain what these passages mean, if you're like me, at least, uh, you'll walk away with the thought in your mind that they really don't know what they're talking about. Um, because at best, the explanation is vague. And so what we decide we do is let's, in these two episodes, tear apart those passages. And we hope that in doing so, and as we explain the context and what's going on, that it's helpful. And we hope the first one was and the second one too. Yeah. And you know, obviously apostasy, it's not a light matter. Um, it's not something that, um, you know, we want to debate, um, or is it, nor is it something that you should just be having a mirror conversation over. No. Right. Um, in fact, it's a very heartbreaking thing to watch, uh, especially for those who have had to experience it in some capacity of people they love, but it's also reality that that's not to be ignored. Uh, nor something for which we should be untaught. And so the goal here is not to just fill our minds with knowledge, um, but to actually move our hearts to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it is a very neglected doctrine, and to be negligent on this uh, and therefore not heed the warnings will only mean harm for the church. And so with that, that's 
our little introduction. And so we're just going to simply jump right into what our, I guess, what we would consider are probably the two scariest passages. Yeah, they're most definitely the ones that over my uh, years as a pastor that are constantly brought up. In fact, um, they were the ones back when I went to a Nazarene college way back in the day. Man, that was, what, 40? Not yeah, 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Anyhow, and a roommate of mine was trying to convince me you could lose your salvation. And, and the first passage he went to was Hebrews 6, and the next one was Hebrews 10. And I was like, no, no, no. And so even as a young man, I was already beginning to look at those passages, and um, it, they, they were troubling. So we will look at the first one, Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 8. And let me read that. He says, uh, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance because since they, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So, here what we have is that whole point of apostasy again. Now, again, this is a repeated concept that he is dealing with in the book of Hebrews. So the question that we want to deal with, first of all, is what is the main point in verses four through six, where it talks about, you know, if you fall away, you know, you're doomed. Um, So if the first thing you have to understand is if you fall away, he makes it so clear that it is impossible to be brought back to repentance. And that's huge because, uh, Anyone who wants to determine a Christian or non-Christian, uh, or I mean a Christian who's actually truly saved can lose their salvation. If that's you, and that's what I discovered at the Nazarene school was that you're, these are people who are losing their salvation every week and they're walking down the aisle and getting re-saved over and over and over again, literally. Yeah. Um, if that's true, then according to this passage, there is no second opportunity. That's what's really important is, so if anybody wants to argue, well, you can lose your salvation, but then you can get saved again, not according to this passage, if that's what it means. There is no second opportunity, which is completely contrary to what most positions hold to. Um, And so they'll appeal to this as well as chapter 10, when in fact, those two do not hold out any hope. So understand with that, that this whole section is written within a bigger context of chapter 5, verse 11, all the way to chapter 6, verse 3. And it will help us deal more easily with chapter 10. So it's actually worth our time to... Yeah, to develop this. Yeah, yeah. And and, and this is our way. Again, I'm going to apologize without apologizing. If we're going to be biblical, then it means we actually have to look at the text, not just make some theological comments. And so... That's what's going on here. The writer wants to instruct them on many wonderful things in chapter 5, but they're not ready for them. 
In fact, he says they should be teachers by now, but they're not. Instead, what they need to be taught are what he calls the elementary principles of God, which is a very interesting phrase because it um, it sounds like he's saying, well, they need to go back to the basics of the Christian faith about Jesus dying on the like cross. Like the gospel. Yeah, 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 the gospel. Just hear it again. Um, sort of like going back to chapter one of theology. But actually, what that phrase means is that they need to go back and learn their ABCs. It's not like they're ready to go back and read the basics. They're not even ready to read because they don't even know how to read. So they need their ABCs and learn them first. In other words, they're not even ready for the most basic things of the Christian faith. Rather, they need to go back and learn about what are the preparatory doctrines first, and we're going to get into that. Yeah, and so with understanding that that's kind of the context, um, that already right there tells us a lot about these people, and that's important, especially as we seek to understand these warning passages because these are the ones to whom the warning passages are being given. Yeah. And so, again, th these people are not merely stalled in their spiritual growth, but they're actually at the point of regressing. Uh, and that's a very important thing to understand. Yeah, they're it, going backwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And already right there should be a warning for the Christian. Yeah. Of some people feel like sometimes they're floating, but there's also those others who... They're going back, Yep. you know? Um, so they're described, notice starting here in verse 11 is dull of chapter five, actually in verse 11, they're dull, unskilled, uh, they're infants, they're unable to discern good from evil. And so these are not people who did something wrong or foolish once or twice. Uh, these are people who are in a seriously bad place, even though they're professing to be followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would even say this is common throughout the American church today of people that would fit within this thing. They're in a really bad place, but somehow they just kind of say, yeah, but I'm saved. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so the writer here, he now, this is interesting, in chapter six, verse one, uh, coming into the passage, he now joins these, what he is calling, you know, these weak people by using the pronoun or the word us in six, verse one. Um, so he says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance. Uh, so he's including himself in this. Um, so he's not sitting here in harsh judgment. Uh, rather, he is climbing down into their weakness, so to speak, and is essentially saying to them, let's do this together. It's very, yeah. it's a very pastoral thing, I think. Um, so he tells them that they need to leave those elementary teachings and the point there is not to say that they should now abandon those teachings, <laughs> right? Um, in fact, to use your illustration, they can't do that any more than you can abandon the alphabet as you are growing in your reading. Um, That'd be interesting. <laughs> I, I don't need anymore. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So instead, of he, what he's saying is build off of them and then move upward. And so they're, they're not a place to just stop but rather they're now this, this doorway, so to speak, to go through or a foundation upon which to now build. Okay, so verses one and two then are very important to understand. So they read, therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So what he, he says is there's no need to go backward 
uh, is the point. Uh, These works that are dead are the things that were elementary. They were the foundational instructions regarding what is to come. And so he says, it is literally rendered as a word or teaching of the beginnings of Christ. So what's meant there? He he gives three sets of two ideas and, and what they're called, or they're called couplets. So it sounds like six, but it's not. It's actually three. Uh, the first is repentance slash faith. The second is cleanse, laying in at slash laying on of hands. And finally, resurrection slash judgment. Now, these are foundational teachings that the Jews had that were coming from the Old Testament. And again, this goes back to our original point of the book was written to Jewish believers, uh, Jewish people professing at least to be believers. Uh, So they're all pointing to something bigger, though, something greater than themselves. In fact, they actually were pointing to their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so what we would argue is that these are the pre-gospel teachings that all of these Jews were raised on rather than central basic Christian doctrines. In other words, these are those ABCs that really they should have learned, but somehow they failed to understand that they were just the ABCs. They were not where you end. And what the and these are what they're beginning to want to go back to rather than leave behind because Jesus is actually better and greater than them. And so now they have that they have heard and learned of the Christ or the Messiah, as he says in verse 2, then these things should be left behind because their purpose no longer exists. And it's really, really, if, if people can get that, then the passage becomes very simple to understand. Yeah. They, they keep wanting to go back to, to the ABCs and say, I'm reading and you're like, no, not really. No, you're saying the ABCs. <laughs> it's a cute song, but stop saying it. You know, let's look at the words and read. And so, yeah. Um, so then he moves into basically giving these six realities of one who has made a profession of faith, but for whom it is now impossible to be restored to repentance. Um, and and what's going to stand out about this? list is how much this gives the appearance of a true believer. And so as he does this, you can then begin to realize when people come to these, why they become so scary to read because we self-identify with them. Um, And so in verse six, uh, notice there's a professed repentance with these people. Um, Everything the author says in verses four through five lead to this point where a person cannot be renewed again to repentance. Um, and that means that at some point in the past, they claim to repent and they claim to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, but also now that they have turned away from faith and have gone into a life essentially of rebellion and no repentance. Yeah, not, and, and it's important for them to hear what you said. You didn't say turned away from faith, but the faith, that body of truth or doctrine. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's a good distinction, yeah. Well, that's why. Um, that's why up. you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, (laughs) save him rescue him someone (laughs) (laughs) so uh second corinthians 7 and 10 uh says true repentance does not have regret it's a it's a actually a pretty clever phrase in the original but um in other words it's impossible to turn from true repentance or a change of you can't change from the change of mind and you and you never regret yeah you're yeah you're never like Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have turned from death to life. (laughs) 
I really regret that decision. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, yeah. Uh, and so the writer, he says that he said that it's impossible to do so. Actually, there, there is no point of no return. Um, or, or there's this point of no return. Sorry. Um, once you've made that profession and it's a true repentance, you're not going back. No, I don't think you said that right. Once you've made a, once you have rejected what you profess to have repented, there's no going back. Once, once you reject. He's saying that there is, it's impossible to renew a repentance once. Oh, reject. I'm sorry. I'm on second Corinthians seven ten still. Oh, um, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. We're, we're, we're just functioning really well here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyhow. So we're both true, yes. depending which passage you're talking about. I'm in Hebrews, you're in <laughs> Second Corinthians. Okay, right. once you repent, if it's a true repentance, you're not going to turn from that repentance. Right. But, but if you want to apply it to the Hebrews passage, you're the exact saying- opposite. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay, so- So no one's a heretic. There's a point of no return. Um and once you've been enlightened is the next one in verse four. He says, have, have once, having once been enlightened. So he, here, uh, it's the same phrase that's used in First John, uh, or actually in John chapter one, verse nine, uh, where it says that Jesus enlightening mankind. It says this, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. So when we talk about this idea that these people have been enlightened, what we understand that to mean is the, similar to what John is using it, that these who have been taught the gospel message, they've been given evidence that they have, re, they have actually given evidence that they've repented and that they understand that message, uh, that they're not anymore in the dark. It's uh, about who Christ is and what the gospel is. They, they've understood it. They, they could tell you that Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah uh, and they're claiming that they now have turned from their ways to Christ. Yeah. Uh, and then the next thing you see in that verse, he describes these um, people as ones who have tasted of the heavenly gift. Um, now, some will see this phrase as being a reference to the same thing as the Holy Spirit, but if you diagram it out, it's actually a separate phrase. Mm -hmm. And so we see it as a taste of what a converted life and forgiven like life feels and looks like. Uh, and this again is another one so common in the American church because they're in and among a body of true believers. And so like kind of by osmosis, they experience what they experience, but they, these are people who participated in a community of believers, a church, in other words, and therefore how redeemed people live and act. And so in some sense, their life conforms to what they're doing, but it's not true. It's not genuine. I like the way you said that, because that's actually a good image of it is that they're in there and they're to rip off a, a term that the Lord used, the tear and wheat. Early on, yeah. they're both growing up and they look very similar and they kind of conform. But ultimately, when it comes to bearing of the fruit, it shows the true nature. It's it's a weed. It's not yeah. the grain. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. I like that. Um, so then he also adds to that, having been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the key one for anyone looking at the text. Yeah. And so in some way or another, we have to let the text say what it says. So we have to understand that in some way or another, these people have shared in the Holy Spirit. They're partaken of it. It's not potentially or maybe they really were partakers 
And so with that, we can now appeal to the people to go back to some of our earlier episodes that we've done on the whole nature of the Holy Spirit and the Christian about being baptized or filled with the Spirit. So we're going to ask some questions to get a sense of what is meant, because we can't just say, well, it, it has to mean this. And so this is where many of our other episodes really do come into play and build and, and we're building off it. So there's three options it can talk about. Does it mean born again? Now, if that's what it's talking about, uh, partaking in the Holy Spirit, then in no other place in the Bible does it ever talk about a regenerate person becoming now unregenerate again, meaning you've been made alive in Christ and then you became dead in sin again. Never, ever, any other place. So it's possible, but you're really pushing the bounds of that. The second option would be that it's talking about baptism with, not of, but with the Holy Spirit. Um, this then would mean that one who is truly saved, who loses salvation because being baptized with the Spirit is how you're actually placed into the church, the body of Christ. And so if that's what it's talking about is baptism with the Spirit, um, then it's actually saying that you were in the church, truly in the body of Christ, and then you've removed yourself from it. Then there's a third option. A third option would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is that unique empowerment, that, that experience that people can have. And we pointed this out already, that can be with a believer or unbeliever. Uh, the filling of the Spirit is not dependent upon your spiritual state. I mean, Balaam um, was yeah. filled with the Spirit. Um, that's one that we could say you could be a partaker of the Holy Spirit. You could have experienced in some way, shape, or form the empowering work of the Spirit, and it still does not say that you're a saved, that you're part of the body of Christ or something like that. And that's our point, is that we're, we say you have to let the text say what it says, that you've been somehow made a partaker. But yeah, which one of these options are you working with? And, and we're, we would say the other two just don't fit within the rest of the scripture. Yeah. Um, and then you have, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'll just let it go. Uh, <laughs> and then you have uh, the next one. These are people who have tasted of the good word of God. He also, and that one's easy. Um, they're people who have sat in there and heard the word of God um, and have seen the goodness in it. Um, and then another one is they have tasted of the powers of the age to come. This could be such things such as miracles and wonders. We see as chapter two and verse four described in Hebrews, uh, but would also include just different ways of living, a new ethic, if you will, that falls in line with the Christian uh, ethic, Romans 14, verse 17. Um, and so just, just a summary of these, these are all in the passive voice. Um, notice they've been... Uh, uh, made partakers of the spirit. Um, they've tasted of the heavenly gift. They've been enlightened. Uh, so they're, they're things that are happening to them, not things that they themselves are actively doing themselves. Right. Um, but the, the illustration then that the writer of Hebrews gives uh, immediately following these statements is what helped make sense of the passage. Um, so he says, for... Um, 
ground that drinks the rain, which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Uh, those are verses six and seven. And so this is the, the seven and eight. Seven and eight. I'm sorry. This is the key interpretive point. Uh, here. Yeah. And it's in the illustration describing what he means. Yeah. I mean, we still haven't made any conclusion yet. We've just said, okay, these are the descriptors and yeah. it can mean this or this. We lean toward this. But as you described this illustration, I think it's probably the most effective way of just understanding what he just wrote yeah. because the illustration's designed to illustrate his yes. point. Yeah. By the way, this is totally unrelated. This is why some people think that potentially Hebrews was actually a sermon is he makes points and then he illustrates. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Huh? I didn't know. <laughs> but no, I always, every time you, every, every time you get, bring up the authorship, I always think about the egalitarians who then say this was written by Priscilla. And I'm like, why? Based on what? Well, because they got to find a woman writing I, an authoritative letter and that's it. And so every, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. The moment you bring up the Hebrew authorship, my mind wanders down egalitarianism <laughs> and I just have our, all kinds of snarky things to say that then, and that's why my mouth is opening, closing, and you're looking at me. <laughs> like, are you going to say something or are no, you just going to? No, I'm having this battle in my, <laughs> my mind of don't, don't, Matt, just don't lose a few listeners you got. Just keep moving. Yeah. Anyhow. So talk about the <laughs> illustration. Gosh. It's your fault. Anyway. Uh, okay. So again, yeah, he, he illustrates his point. Um, and there's different elements to this illustration. So he speaks of land. That is going to be a reference to the professing Christian. Uh, you then have the rain uh, falling down. That's the gospel. Uh, then you have the drinking of rain, the ground sucking it up, if you will. That's tasted. Um, so when he says tasted of the good word of God or tasted of the powers of the age to come, something like that. Um, and then that other point, this final point of then bringing forth vegetation. Uh, and this is that practicing what you believe, and this is going to either be a good or a bad thing. Yeah. Practicing good works or bad works. Right. Is that such a thing? Right. Um, so, so the land is just, here's the people. The rain is the word of God that's coming down upon them. They're tasting it. Properly or improperly, you're tasting it, but now they're going to bring forth the vegetation. Fruit and keep yeah, it out there. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Um, very similar to Matthew 13 or Mark 4, parable of the soils, um, you know. And, and so the point of the section is that it's less important what you've experienced. Now, this yes. is key. It is less important what you have experienced and far more important on how you respond. In other words, what what fruit are you bearing? What's popping up now out of your ground, so to speak, uh, as the result of that experience? Um, Matthew twelve thirty three. Either make the tree good and its uh, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its bad fruit. For the tree is known by its fruit. So if it's a good tree, bears good fruit; bad tree, bad fruit. What it is is what comes out. Yeah, that it's just a reflection of what it is, right? Yeah. And so the writer is warning the Jews here who claim that Jesus is the Messiah, that they were going the wrong way with that information. Uh, instead of leaving behind then the things that were merely shadows of Jesus, they were trying to go back to him. 
And his point is that if you first claim Jesus as the true Messiah and then reject him to go back to the old things, then there's nothing left for you. You're done. So don't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Hebrews 6 passage. Um, Now we'll do Hebrews 10. Yeah, that's the one that... That's the one that scared me the first time I read it. The Hebrews 10 passage? Yeah. Yeah. So let me read it and then you can... Start, start with some comments, yeah. Uh, so this is verses 26 through 31. Uh, and the writer states, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah, this is not devotional material. (laughs) This is frightening. Um, Yeah. And so it's it's probably the starkest picture um, of in the entire Bible of the consequences of apostasy. Um, but by now, it's also, I would argue, rather easy to understand, um, simply because if you've been looking at the whole context of the of the letter, you're like, I see what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, so this is again why we believe in expositional preaching and teaching, because when you're just cherry picking verses, you rip them out of the context. Usually you never get the full understanding of what's going on. And so the first, the key question that most people uh, want to understand is what is meant by a willful sinning in this context? Well, the reason they all want to is they all know what willful sinning is because they, they just do did it. it. Like, yeah, like <laughs> half an hour ago. Um, and frankly, we do it. We'd all do it on any given day. Um, We choose to be angry and say a harsh word. We choose to shade the truth and withhold it. We look and we lust. Uh, We go back willingly to a memory that only brings about a bitter heart. Uh, We look at others with envy. I mean, the list could go on and on, but we're all willfully sinning all the time. Um, Knowing we ought not. Yeah, yeah. We've been instructed. We've come to a knowledge of the truth. Yep. And yet... We willfully sin. Yeah. There only remains for us, therefore, terrifying judgment. <laughs> you know, you're like, no, and it, it's scary. And yeah. I, I, we're laughing about it, but it's only because anything else, and you maybe cry. You know, it's it's scary for people. Um, but that's not what the author of Hebrews is dealing with in this book. He's laboring to warn these Jewish believers to not go back, and he's been extremely specific for ten chapters. Um, In the verses just prior, what he was doing is he's reminding them that through Christ, just listen to what he says. He says that through Christ, there is no need for an offering for sin uh, anymore. Uh, We all now can enter into the true holy place. Uh, So he commands us to draw near, to hold fast our true confession, and to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And this is all about the lasting effects of Jesus's great and eternal work. Yeah. So, so what is the sinning then that he has here in mind? Um, quite simply, it's the returning to the old covenant practices, and hear this, 
as the way to be right before God. Yeah. That's the the specific sin here in mind. So he he's talked about how the old covenant is a shadow. It's a mere shadow of the reality to come in Jesus Christ. And so shadows can never really do what reality can do. And so to go to the shadow, in other words, the old covenant for life and uh, hope that the uh, that only the reality can bring is utter folly. In other words, if, if you're just assuming that the old covenant or you have your hope in what the old covenant can accomplish that only Jesus Christ can accomplish, you're lost. That's his yeah. point. Um, and then note though, and here's also the key point, note that this is done with knowledge, not ignorance. Uh, in fact, the word here means a full knowledge. Yeah. So they understand now who Jesus is, uh, especially in relation to the old covenant. And with a fullness of knowledge, for some reason, they're wanting to go back because they think there's life found in Old Covenant. In fact, that's actually what, um, in our introductory um, episode, I shared the story about a guy who apostatized and me and another elder went to his house and we we just, we were hearing this is what he was, uh, they was rejecting the Christian faith and he had been considered possibly to be an elder in our church at one point. And I remember asking him in this passage, what was, was, what was in my mind was, is he lacking knowledge? You know, does, is this out of ignorance that he's making these decisions? And so I quizzed him on several parts of theology and, and the gospel. And does he understand that's what the gospel is? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do you understand that the Bible says that there is nothing else out there that will save you. Yes, um, he just simply said, I just reject that the Bible says we're sinners. And I'm like, but you understand the Bible says it. Yes. And I and he's like, but I no longer believe it. And I no longer believe that Jesus is God. In fact, I don't even believe there's a God. So that's why when we went to the church and talked about it, we said it the guy is apostatized because it wasn't in wait wait no you mean he's the only way of salvation you know now we're dealing with ignorance yeah. we're dealing with willful rejection of what has is known and that's yeah. where it's deadly yeah um yes that's exactly right and so the specific context here would be that though these yeah. are these are Jews who, knowing fully now the gospel, knowing fully who Jesus Christ is, are wanting to go back to the old covenant as if there's hope and life there, and that's the specific application. But how would that look today? Because I mean, we're not Jews. Well, my illustration I just gave would have been better here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it would look just like what I described. <laughs> Maybe we can have Lena edit these two parts. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, do a little magic there, a little yeah. something, something. Oh my! Anyhow, it's okay. Well, but well, the answer though to okay, so what? What's the sin here? What's going on? How would this look today? It's going to be found actually in asking the question though: What's behind this willful return of these people here in the Book of Hebrews to want to go back to the old covenant? What's driving this heart or these actions? And at its core. So the illustration you just used is it is it's just it's that willful rejection of the person of Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has accomplished. Yeah, yeah, with full knowledge, full knowledge. So it's that willfulness. So uh, 
In verses 28 to 31, he actually contrasts the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So I'm going to read that again and just have you listen carefully to how he's contrasting the Old and New Covenant. In 28, he says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy, meaning they heard it and they no longer want to obey the law of Moses. They die without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think you will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? That's new covenant there. Uh, For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Therefore, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what he's saying is he's saying that in the old and new covenant, both brought a curse and a death without mercy if you rejected it. But the image is also one from lesser to greater. So what he's basically saying is if you think it was bad to reject the Mosaic law where you would then be killed, what do you think it would be like then to reject God's son who brought the new covenant? In other words, to reject Jesus or to treat his sacrificial work as nothing, to essentially spit on the face of the Spirit, there's only one thing that waits for you, and that is the terror before the living God. So to give an enlarged translation on verse 26, uh, 26, it would go something like this. If we go on sinning willfully by going back to the temple and the priesthood and the animal sacrifices, having after having received the knowledge of the truth that all of these are now fulfilled in Jesus the Christ, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And I hope yeah. that kind of yeah. helps bring out the point. Yeah. So you're saying the heart behind a true apostasy is with full knowledge, a willful rejection of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we've had this too. Having claimed first to have believed. Believed in him. Yeah, profess that repentance. So we started this whole series out with trying to also make a distinction that apostasy is not the same thing as church discipline. Right. And so you gave your illustration of a person who just, you quiz them and they're like, nope, nope, I reject that now. Compared to, I mean, we've sat across from people in church discipline situations and the same quizzing happens and they can't utter though yeah. that, do you reject Jesus as the Christ? They, can, they can't say yes. Do you reject the gospel as absolute truth and the only way of salvation? No, I don't reject that. But do you love your sin? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But for that's, them, I, boy, that's bringing back some memories. I remember watching that conflict go on is, no, I can't reject this. I believe this. Yeah. But they're gripped by sin right now. Yeah. For them, though, we would still say that there is a hope. Yeah. And you still pray for them um, because they have not yet come to that point where they can utter with their mouth, I reject. Even though they are with their life functionally, with their mouth, I reject these things. It's different from a person who's saying, Nope. Yep. I, I know yeah, this yeah. with full knowledge and just reject. In fact, when I went to the church and presented this whole thing, and then I did a series on apostasy because there's a lot of people who were like, what is that? I had one person raise her hand because I had a Q&A, and, and this woman said, so how, how do we pray for him? And I looked at her, and I, I, I watched people's mouths literally drop open. I said, I don't pray for him. And, and she's like, well, why? I said, because he's an apostate and there is nothing left for him. 
this is not an accident. This is, it was actually in this Q and a that made me realize I be, I need to teach on this. Um, and so I preached through, uh, the doctrine, but, um, it's like, I don't pray for him because this is a man who's in willful, full knowledge and willfully rejecting it. There remains no other sacrifice for him, only the terrifying judgment of God. And that's where I then tried to make a distinction for them between that and a person who's fallen into sin and, and is gripped by it, but they will not and cannot deny the master who bought them because they, yeah. they have been converted. And the doctrine of the perseverance of saints then says that in time, God will bring them to repentance and back into fellowship yeah well but and we'll then, get into that on yeah and the, well that's also that first john 5 passage right where yeah. he says uh there is one who oh. commits a sin yeah. not leading to death i pray for him but there's a one committing a sin leading to death i do not say that you should pray for him yeah so he just because he understands apostasy is apostasy and there is no coming back and that's the apostle of love <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, okay, so some conclusions on this. Uh, first of all, we would say, and it's the point of these warning passages, be on guard. Um, be it growing ever in sound doctrine. Uh, do not be friends with sin. Do not flirt with sin. This is why Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. At some point, you won't win. Uh, place yourself in the care of tested and trusted elders and pastors gather for the purpose of spiritual encouragement with members of the church. Don't withhold that. And this is the difficult thing with an age of technology. Uh, you're tempted to just want to keep hearing the word of God, tasting the word of mm -hmm. God, but that's not the same thing as gathering together as the writer of Hebrews says, to encourage one another onto love and good deeds. Uh, but most of all, while not forgetting these things, uh, we'd say just listen to these declarations uh, about Jesus Christ made by the writer of the Hebrews. And we're just going to read some passages here. All right. So in chapter one, it's Jesus who upholds all things by his power and has made purification of sin. That's the whole of chapter one. But let me read chapter two, verses 14 to 18. He says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And then Hebrews four twelve through 16, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Or Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Although he was a son, 
he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Or Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 20 to 28. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy and innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all. When he offered himself up for the law, appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. And then Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And as much as it has been appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. And then finally in 13, 20 through 21, now the God of peace who has brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus, our Lord, equip you and every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So beloved, in the end, it's, it's God who shall keep you. And therefore, you don't want to look first to your own perceived growth as your assurance. Rather, what the writer of Hebrews is telling you to do is look constantly to the one who alone can make you stand in his presence because he is ever faithful. Amen. So those are our thoughts on apostasy. Uh, it's a tough topic, but a necessary topic. And so we would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, and so next time... When we talk about something else, until then, make sure that you tune in here, join this conversation, give us some feedback on apostasy, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. <music>